the past couple of months, I've been wandering back in time to those places where I worshipped as a child, especially to Walnut Hill Methodist Church in Dallas, where I grew up, where I was uh, baptized, where I had my earliest experiences in the family of faith, my early experiences of church, of big church, uh, my earliest experiences of Sunday school, my earliest experience of it, when I was in kindergarten, of going to kindergarten and loving my time in the uh, classes that I had there. I enjoyed going to kindergarten as a child and then also to Sunday school when I was a kid in the very same wing uh, there at, at Walnut Hill. I enjoyed the classes. I enjoyed my teachers, uh, especially uh, teachers like Mrs. Hill, who was a, a dear, wonderful saint and, a, and, and became later in my life a, a dear friend of mine. I'll never forget a bounding out of the Sunday school classroom one Sunday morning. And knowing what I was, what I, as a child, I knew I wasn't supposed to do, I was running. I was running down that hall, running down the hall to this intersection where the, the wing went two different directions, and there was a bunch of women there, including my mother, and I saw my mom standing there yakking with the other ladies, and I went running towards her, dove at her, threw my arms around her legs, and hugged on for a dear life tight because I was so happy to see my mom, and then I looked up, and it wasn't mom. Oh! And I turned and I looked and I saw my mom and I went running over to her and I grabbed onto her legs and I hid behind her skirt as the ladies were laughing and cooing at me. And mom leans down and picks me up, supports me there, and I look at the ladies and say, sorry, wrong mom. <laughs> uh, amongst those ladies was Mrs. Hill. An amazing woman. Mrs. Hill had been my Sunday school teacher. She would be my Sunday school teacher into my elementary years. She, she uh, was my kindergarten teacher. And I, I knew her very well. I loved her. She taught me so much about the love of God in Jesus Christ. She taught me that God would love me absolutely, completely, and totally, no matter what. God's love would never leave me or forsake me. God's love would always be there. I, I went to one of the first events that ever happened in the old Texas stadium. In fact, I think it was the first event that ever happened in the old Texas stadium back in like it was like 1972. It was a Billy Graham crusade. And I, my mom was singing in the choir there, the mass choir for it. And they took me with them in the bus down to Texas stadium. And Mrs. Hill was there too. And I sat on the floor there between my mother and Mrs. Hill while my, while my parents, my mother and Mrs. Hill, sang, sang beautiful music in that crusade. Mrs. Hill was almost like my second mom. In fact, I called her Mom, Mama Hill. She was so close to me. She kept up with me. We kept up with each other to the point that when I was ordained deacon and then elder, she came to the ordination services. When I was ordained elder, the, the service was at Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano, and she comes up to me. Now, when I was little, she was really big and tall, but by the time I, I got ordained, I, was, I looked down at Mrs. Hill, and she comes up to me, and she looks at me, and she says, Greg, I'm so very proud of you. You are mine. You are like my own son. She didn't have any kids. You are like my own son to me. And I can remember hugging her and thanking her. Several years later, I, I buried her. 
And it was like burying your parent or grandparent or not. It hurt deep inside. It hurt deep inside to say the service over her. But it was also a celebration to see all the people that Mrs. Hill touched coming for the service. It hurt. And yet, it was also a celebration. I've done many funerals in my ministry. When I was at Cockrell Hill, we had a, a, a medical opera, military medical operations center and deployment center there in, in Cockrell Hill. I mean, in, in Seagoville, not Cockrell Hill, in Seagoville. And during the first, uh, second Gulf War, they deployed from there. And unfortunately, because we had a military unit there, we had military families in the congregation, we had, unfortunately, funerals for several who died in the service of their country in the Second Gulf War. And one of the hardest things to do was funerals for the young men and women of our armed forces and to see their families, their, their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles, their sisters, their wives coming down, their husbands coming down, their children coming down to mourn their loss. The, the look of pain in a mother's eyes at the death of her son, at the death of her daughter, is so deep and so painful. It reminds me that Jesus was more than just the Son of God. That sounds strange to say, but let's say it. Jesus was more than just the Son of God. Jesus was more than just the Messiah. Jesus was more than just the rabbi from Nazareth. Jesus was more than just a good and wise teacher. Jesus was more than just the son of a Jewish carpenter. Jesus was the son of a woman, the son of Mary. Jesus was the son of a young woman who, as we heard during Advent and Christmas, was chosen by God at a very early age to bear the Son of God into the world a world of pain and anguish, a world of violence, a world of hate, a world of sin. She was chosen by God to bear into this world the Son of God, the Word of God, the Lamb of God. Mary, a character who is important in the birth of Jesus and the narratives in Matthew and in Luke is equally important here in the narrative of his death on the cross as being one of the few of his followers who came to witness his death, who did not run away, who did not deny him three times, who did not disappear in the night at the time of his arrest, who did not follow afar off, but instead were there all the way through to the end. Mary, to whom the prophet Simeon, soon after Jesus' birth, they had brought Jesus into the temple, and he takes Jesus from Mary and Joseph, and he says to Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. This is that moment about which Simeon spoke three decades earlier. This is that moment 
when this child destined for the falling and the rising of many, this child, a sign that would be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many may be revealed, this child in this moment, a sword pierces Mary's soul too as the nails pierced his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns pierced his brow, the whip lashed his back, and at his death a sword would pierce his side. This is that moment about which Simeon spoke three decades earlier, and Mary stood there, having been amazed at his birth, amazed at the message of the shepherds from the angels, amazed at the wise guys coming to give gold, frankincense, and myrrh, amazed at the angels foretelling, amazed at the wonders that she had seen, she would stand in horror at the cross as her son, her baby boy, would be put to death. And there was nothing she could do. She couldn't stop it. She couldn't bring him down. She couldn't keep it from happening. She could only be dragged along and watch it happen. She wasn't alone. Mary, the wife of Cleopas, Mary, Magdalene, the other Mary, her sister, and the beloved disciple were there too. This is Jesus' mother watching as he dies. She had picked him up when he uh, fell as a child and skinned his knees. She had kissed the boo-boos. She had wiped away the tears. She had raised him. She had taught him his alphabet and dots is the, the Hebrew alphabet. He, he, she, she had learned so much. She had nurtured him. She had raised him. She had cared for him. After the dad's death, after Joseph's death, she, she must have cared for him even more closely, for he cared for her as her son. And now she can't care for him anymore. He's dying there, and there's nothing she can do. And then she hears these words. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's praying to God for those who are murdering as they are murdering Him. He's praying for those who are murdering Him in the midst of being murdered. He's praying for them. That must have been horrible. He's praying for the Roman soldiers. He's praying for the Sanhedrin. He's praying for those who are mocking him. He's praying for those who spat at him. He's praying for those who are tearing his garments and gambling for them. He's praying for those who are murdering him while they're murdering him. And she had to stand there and see it all. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. A prayer offered for all of them and for all of us much later. And then she heard after one of the thieves on the cross said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, she heard him say, today you will be with me in paradise. 
He didn't deserve to be, hear that word. This thief, he had never gone through baptism, hadn't been confirmed, hadn't made sinner's prayer or moved on to perfection. He was just a sinner and a thief on the cross dying, but he recognized who Jesus was and is and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And she heard Jesus say, Today you will be with me in paradise, not tomorrow, not in the distant future, today, paradise. And now it's her turn. In the order, in the sequence, in the seven last words of Jesus, now it's her turn. Standing at the foot of the cross with the beloved disciple. Now, we don't know who the beloved disciple was. Lots of speculation as to who it might be. Uh, mostly he's identified as being John because John's missing from that gospel. So since he's the only one missing, obviously it's John. Well, may not be, but probably is. The beloved disciple who's there to the very end, the beloved disciple is right there with Mary. And she is there at the foot of the cross. And now we have these words from Jesus. Woman, here is your son. Then he says to the disciple, here is your mother. In literary studies, the beloved disciple is seen as a blank slate, an empty set of sandals into which we, the reader or hearer, can go and stand and become part of the story, part of the narrative, part of the experience. He is the stand-in for us. We are invited to come and to stand in the beloved disciple's shoes and do and say the things the beloved disciple does and says. And here we are standing next to the mother of Jesus at the foot of the cross. And Jesus says these words to the beloved disciple, to us, and to Mary. Woman, here's your son. Now there's a lot of speculation. Is he referencing himself here? Possibly. But more likely, based on what happens next, he's referencing the man standing next to her, the beloved disciple. Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother, he says to the disciple. He cares for Mary. With his last words on the cross of the seven last sayings, one of them deals with Mary. Thus far, he's prayed for the people who are killing him. He has spoken to a man who's dying with him. His care and concern has been for others. And now his care and concern is for his mother and the beloved disciple. His mother who will need someone to care for her now that he is leaving, now that he is dying. And so in his compassion and in his love, he has not only prayed for the world, Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, he's not only told the thief, today you will be with me in paradise, now... He says to his mother, here's your son. And he says to the disciple, here is your mother. 
we are given Mary to care for. Jesus, in this act of compassion, expressing love for his own earthly mother, expressing love for his beloved disciple and for us, gives us to each other to care for, to love, to cherish, to protect. Mary, who cared for, loved, and protected, and cherished Jesus, now is taken into the beloved disciple's home and cared for, cherished, nourished, and protected. And likewise, she offers to us the faith that she had in her own son. My friends, as we move on towards Holy Week, we, we've moved now three Sundays into Lent. As we move on now towards Holy Week and another few Sundays, we have more of these last sayings of Jesus to hear. But thus far, these first three settings, they're about others. Not woe is me, woe is me yet. Not, oh no, I went off this cross yet. Not, oops. But Father, forgive them. Today you will be with me in paradise. And, Mother, here's your son. And here is your mother. Caring for others. As Jesus has throughout his life, so now also he continues to care for others. His compassion, his love for others governs his very thoughts as he is dying on the cross. We would be self-centered. We would be self-focused. We would be terrified. Jesus is focused on others. May we, as we carry our cross, may we as we carry our burden up Golgotha, the Golgotha of our lives, may we consider others as Jesus considered us all, the thief and his mother and the beloved disciple. And may we share with each other that compassion and that love, that mercy, that grace that Jesus shared with us all. Let me dwell listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2018 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org 
That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.